Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm George Hendricks. And today we're covering Minute 28. It begins with Spunkmeyer stomping around in his loader and ends with Ripley stomping around in her loader. And George, thanks for coming back for day three. I appreciate you helping me out. Katie and Margaret are back in the house as well. Thank you for coming Hi. back. Thanks for Hi. having us back. Thank you. All right. Well, so we're, we're still, Spunkmeyer's still backing up and doing stuff in his loader, stomping around and whatnot. And, and the first thing I wanted to point out was that in the last minute I said that, you know, gave Spunkmeyer kudos for using proper safety protocols, you know, telling everyone he's backing up, backing up carefully. And then we get Gorman and Farrow, who definitely are not using proper safety protocols. They just walk right into, almost right into the forks of that loader. <laughs> They're just showing you it's real. Yeah, Yeah, you pointed that out in the last minute that they're just showing us that it's real. And that's a good practical reason, you know, filmmaking reason. But, man, they could have just taken (laughs) – you could have easily taken (laughs) one of them out. So, I don't know. These Marines, they run hot and cold as far as the safety protocols go, I guess. Well, that's how commonplace those awesome machines are. It's like, "Eh, whatever, you just walk. Do they have workers' comp in the future? (laughs) Or is that – it's the Army. Do they get workers' comp? You get, to, you get some time. Seems off. like there'd be a lot of claims with this thing stomping around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially like toes and stuff. Exactly. Oh, man. Can you imagine? It's like a one and done. You don't, you don't come back from that. No. <laughs> I love that you can see the where the wires lead up out of the antenna on the loader at the beginning there. If you're looking yeah. for it. Only if you're looking. It's so it's only smart. if you're looking for it. it but so I love being able, being able to find stuff like that yeah. and see it. And it's really uh, just at the very last second where it tilts back a bit, where the light catches it just enough to show up. Yeah, not bad. Just do they go back and erase that now? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when they do the special edition release. Oh, they just they just did all the CG. No, I don't know. It's such a beautiful piece of machinery. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's so nice. oh. Can't stop looking at it. I probably should start talking instead of just looking at a picture of the. <laughs> Margaret, do you want to talk about how they made it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, apparently, what, what did we say? Uh, I think Sid Mead did the original design ideas, but then my understanding is that James Cameron just basically locked the fabricators in a room for a day, and you guys have to figure out how we're going to build this you nerds for real. This. Yeah, and they did it with foam core and hot glue, and I think some PVC pipes, and that's really. That's how we still do stuff here. Absolutely. That makes me want to make that. Mm-hmm. But they did it. The first prototype was done in a, di- in a day, which is pretty impressive to figure out how it moved. It's a pretty complicated piece. So how does it move? What's, what's the trick? Well, don't get too technical. Well, the <laughs> trick's there's a guy. Well, there is a guy, yes. There's a guy who's a stuntman. It's just like R2-D2. Mm-hmm. Only not at all. He's just arms and legs <laughs> instead of a tube. <laughs> Yeah, I think his name was John Lees. And yeah, he's perfectly concealed apparently behind them when they're using these loaders. So That's so I, awesome. Yeah, and I didn't know that. You know, that's not oh, something no. I ever thought about. I, I assumed that somehow they had built this thing so that Sigourney Weaver could use it herself. And now when I look for it, they did such a good job because I, I can't, now that I know he's there, I still can't find him. Yeah, yeah. Is anybody I'm able to look for it? I can't. Like, you know, but your brain still is like, no, I, what? It's yeah, real. It's, she made, they did a really good job she shooting She made a living out of, out of, or at least a solid start to her career by sitting in chairs with stuntmen hiding behind her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another That's thing true. that I read, and again, who knows if this is true, and I know that you don't like looking into stuff, but 
No, no, no. I, I don't like looking into stuff. I want you guys oh, to look okay, into okay. stuff. Oh, okay, okay. You're doing the work here. Okay. I like yes. that. Well, I read a little thing that said this, the uh, fabricators pulled a little trick on um, Sigourney Weaver, and they put a little inflatable balloon behind her. So while they were shooting, it would feel like the stunt guy was... <laughs> this is terrible. I shouldn't even be saying this stuff. My mom might listen to this. It but, would uh, feel like... Like the... Stuntman was enjoying his uh, oh, no. <laughs> And she said it in an interview, so I'm assuming it's actually happening. You mean you mean like he was his uh, I, I don't understand. I might need you to describe no. <laughs> yes. Never mind. <laughs> Why don't you describe it slowly? I, please no, please don't. No, we don't want that. Um no, I understand. That. That's I, I have never <laughs> That sounds like a stuntman practical joke. By far, it does though, doesn't it? Very crude. Yeah, because you know, yeah, yeah. Stuntmen are all assholes, so yeah, it does sound like <laughs> the stuntmen are all elbows and assholes. <laughs> well, except for this hey. one, he's apparently something else. <laughs> oh, okay. It's getting a little blue in here. Guys. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so apparently the actual finished thing weighed a good like six hundred pounds. Wow. It's really heavy, and it had to have counterweights in it so that it wouldn't topple over. Over, and I guess they had to redesign. The arms a lot to keep making them lighter because Sigourney Weaver said it kept falling face first in the rehearsals because it was so top heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at it and you go, okay, it's beautiful. I love it. I think it's a great effect. But if you think about it a little bit, you realize it probably wouldn't work. Never, never <laughs> yeah. think about stuff too much. It, yeah. It you don't want to think about this one. <laughs> think about that. It, it's like off about 20%. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it would need some kind of a tail, like a T-Rex tail or something, right, oh, yeah. to really yeah. actually work. What if it was a prehensile tail? And that would be even better because then it could have, like, an extra appendage for things. Like, I don't know, maybe something later it might come up against. What if That's it had true. magnetized feet? Oh. The floor is metal on the... Should we just assume that that's what... Maybe that's what it has. That's why it clunks so hard. Yeah, that's what we'll just say that's what it is. Yes, that's why it's... Magnetized is great. Electromagnets, yeah, so like as you're stepping it, let's go, boom, you've solved it. Well, I heard, also, I think wasn't Panasonic was actually, I read somewhere I was building a prototype. I feel like it's one of those rumors that goes around all the time that that's going to be a real thing. Yeah, like, maybe. really excited, but then it's really not. Because <laughs> yes. it's so cool. Or it showed up, kid. Well, we have, we have uh, <laughs> Back to the Future adjustable shoes. I think we're not too far from hoverboards. And so, hoverboards, yeah. Yeah, so maybe in <laughs> like boots like that, that's, that's gotta, can't be too far away. I don't think there's that's too uh, magnetized boots aren't an unrealistic yeah, thing. Okay. I mean, I, think that's good. I, think I like it. So we'll go with it. Let's let's just say magnetized boots. There I love go. that when you see the close up of her hands, that her hands are really dirty. Oh yeah, I thought that was so beautiful. Like, oh, there's great... so much good, so many close ups of the model, and it's so beautifully patinaed and aged oh, and yeah. everything, except for the harness. Do you notice the harness oh, is really clean? I did. Not so I was wondering that. if. Like if this is a real thing, maybe you have to replace the harness for safety reasons. Like it wears up. But why would it be so clean? I think well, that I you have... just called it that they did such a good job scuffing everything up and just nobody thought that would get dirty too. Well, before we get too far into Ripley being in the loader, she hasn't even offered oh, her yes, services yes. yet. Oh, yes. All right. oh yeah, we don't know if she's getting there. So I wanted to talk about this this moment where Ripley approaches Apone, uh, mostly Apone, but Hicks is there as well looking for something to do. And I think this is a good, a great character moment. And this is Ripley 
starting to be Ripley. Um, you haven't been on, you know, previous weeks of the show, but I've been asserting this idea that Ripley is not Ripley in this yeah. movie. She's yeah. slowly having to get back into Ripley's skin, so to speak. Well, she also and found she, out that her daughter is dead. Yeah, she's, oh, so, well, she's got to be bummed out. Not in this cut, she didn't. But oh, oh that's but true. We, yeah, I watched the non- answer. Answer. Oh, yeah, What did I, I watch? All right, never mind. It's don't fun. listen to me. Don't listen to me. No, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> call her. Crank call her. <laughs> Just the idea that she's a woman out of time that yeah. is enough for me. That she's disoriented, and of course, this idea of having you know all the trauma of what happened to her in Alien, finding out she's fifty-seven years in the future, and then. Having pretty much having to make the choice to go back, yeah, uh, to where this horror happened. That's enough to make somebody pretty squeamish and a little, you know, just she's just not herself. So this though is very Ripley, right? Now we're starting to get into her territory. This is what she does for a living uh, presently. Now, how she's, long has she been doing this? Yeah, eh, because I don't know. to get certified on those things, you need six weeks of training, eight weeks for USCM personnel. Oh my goodness. No, really. So how long has she been at the Gateway Station? Yeah, how long yeah, do you have to train to get a class three license? Because they seem impressed that a she A class can do two that. rating, it says six weeks, but for the Colonial Marines, it takes eight weeks. So they take a little a longer. So I was wondering, I was trying to find timelines, figuring I, out how I'm long pretty she sure there's lots of ordnance training in there because they have to deal with explosives and heavy weaponry and that sort of thing. And there's different, there's different ways to move them around. Is it possible she knew how to do that before? She that seems like new technology. They wouldn't have that 60 years ago. Yeah, yeah that would have been. But she easily could have been there for three months, living in that shitty little apartment. At, at least. Yeah. I mean, that's what we talked. We talked about that, you know, when the two different cuts between Ripley finding out that the colony on LV-426 exists and her, uh, you know, being approached by Gorman and Burke to go back to LV-426. And the cut that we're talking about it's a cut or a dissolve, actually, technically, a dissolve into her smoking a cigarette, and then they come to the door. Where in the director's cut, it's the whole 15 minute long Headley's Hope sequence. So, either way, to me, is an indication that a good amount of time has passed. I don't think we're to assume that this, you know, she found out about the colony, and then the next day or a week later that this all went down. So, okay. it, it could have been, let's just say. It's not clear, but I don't. To me, it doesn't need to be. That's one of those things we talked about back then. Was to me that does the dissolve into the like three inch long cigarette ash that she's holding. You know, the cigarette she's holding in her hand is a just perfect visual stylistic uh, metaphor for time elapsing. Yeah, yeah, of time lapse. Second, uh, only to her putting on glasses to show that she's a little bit older, right, or something like that, or the haircut. She she does have a haircut in the scene as well. So so glad she got a haircut. I mean, to me, it's it's fun to talk about all this stuff. To, but to me, I am yeah, some some time went by enough time that she's not only has she gotten a new job, but it's become mundane to yeah. her, you know. Yeah. So that's all we really need to know. But what I like is that she's she's brought back to life here by this concept of being uh, functional, be doing her part, and she's totally Ripley's totally the type that couldn't sit idly by and let everybody else do the work. So I love this moment that she comes up, says, "You know, I don't want to be a fifth wheel. Is there something I can do?" And I really love how Apone responds to that. Yeah, he doesn't mm-hmm. say, "I don't know." Like, can't like he doesn't he doesn't give her an option to answer. He he basically de- denigrates her by saying, "I don't know. What can you do?" 
Oh, so I felt that was welcoming also. Like, you show me what you can do. Okay, I'm here. I'm watching. Uh, you show I, me I got what a different read on it. It was more like, uh, all right, if you could do something, you can. But I'm not holding out a lot. Maybe not because she's a woman or anything, because she's a civilian, more or less. And he doesn't, like, yeah. put a lot of faith in but civilians. But I think he was giving her a minute. I'm, you have 30 seconds to show me that you're worthwhile. See, he doesn't say, I don't know. What can you do? He says, I don't know. What can you do? He's yeah. it, to me, it's very welcoming. It's like, yeah, he, it actually sounds like he's assuming she can do something. He just needs to know what it is specifically. Yeah. But her response to that is sort of like a eyes closed, like, okay, fine. Let me step up mm. to your weird alpha male challenge. That sort of thing. It, it's, it's like she's meeting him halfway, but she's doing so because she recognizes that he's trying to call her on her bluff. See, I felt like she's on the outside and these guys are this group and she wants to show them that she's in their group. She's not in the company. Yeah. She says, no, no, no. I'm not with the company. I'm with you guys. And this is my chance. Hey, give me a minute. I'm going to show you that I'm, I'm one of you guys. I'm, I'm a laborer. I'm not one of these a-holes back here. And he's yeah. giving her an opening. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like I felt it was welcoming and, Yep. She says, okay, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to watch. I'm going to give you a minute. Show me what you can do. And then she does it. And I felt like her pause when she was, that she was actually going through all the stuff she can do because she's Ripley and she's so capable. So I yeah. thought she was actually thinking about, okay, of all the things I can do, what would be the most helpful here? Yeah. And then she thinks of the loader. I think she's also pr- proud of the fact that there is something she's very capable of doing. Yeah. She gets, there's a little pride in the way she says, uh, I could drive one of those loaders. You yeah. know, I think that I think she wants it to land a little bit and actually impress them just a little bit because I think you're right. She's going to do things in future, you know, minutes and future scenes that are clearly her trying to integrate herself into the group of Marines and separate herself from the company because she also she also has disdain for the company and she's starting to read that they do too. And I think uh, I think you're right about. It. I think it's a pretty good reading. Do you think she had in mind when she walked over there that she was going to offer her loader driving services, or that was just the first I think thing so. Her? I think she saw because in the scene before we had seen Spunkmire driving it, and I think that was her saying, "Hey, I can do that." No, I mean I, I I agree. I think that she had an idea in her head that she was like definitely going to do that, but I don't know if anybody got another take yeah. on. No, I mean the the just the whole way this scene plays out through the next couple of minutes. Tells me, yeah, I think that she was maybe waiting in the wings and she said, all right, I can do this. And it's kind of a setup. She wants to impress them with her yeah. skill. There does seem to be a little skepticism in Opone's face when she says, I got a class two rating. And he goes like, he glances at Hicks. Well, uh, Hicks, yeah. And says, uh, be my guest. Like, okay, show me. Put up or shut up. Yeah, yeah he does. He does seem to look to Hicks for um, approval of the idea. But I think it's interesting because I'm not sure if in the text of the moment between the two characters, that makes sense, but it does make sense in what we know so far about the characters because we've gotten Hicks is the only guy that's really been paying attention to Ripley thus far. Right. Like in a positive way, we got it with the, with the cornbread moment, you know, when she slaps the tray away from Bishop and we get the shot, we get a two shot of frost and, and Hicks and Frost makes a flippant joke about it. And, but Hicks is clearly concerned. He's like, what is going on over there? What is with her? And he gives her the, you know, he's the only one that gives her any eye contact when they first get out of the cryopods. So I think that, uh, it's an interesting character moment, whether it makes sense in the, you know, actual practical moment with the, with the characters, why would Apone look to Hicks for approval for something? I don't know, but Hicks is the one that's going to be like, yeah, let her do it. 
So I think Apone, I think Apone's accommodating, but I think Hicks is more accommodating and sort of gives them that last little beat. And says, "Yeah, let her do it. Let's see what she can do." See, I, I don't, I don't know it. how skeptical that is. They are, I but I didn't see it as looking for. Do you think I should let her do it? I thought they were just kind of both amused. Yeah, let's see what surprised. she can do. Maybe she'll tell on her face. Maybe she'll do it. Let's see. I don't know. In a way, it could be funny. It could be great. In a way, because I always read this as a bit more of a like a having to step into like their world and, and in spite of their, you know, in my, my perception, like a little bit of derision at the idea that she can do this. It's way more empowering for her to be like, okay, I see that you're skeptical, but I will prove you wrong. Watch. And then she, her confidence is what sells the scene. Oh yeah. 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 I will also see in this scene, Hicks is terribly hunky. <laughs> he's, he's easy on the eyes. Michael Bean, Michael Bean is a very, very pretty man. <laughs> yeah, and he's I a really beautiful like man. No um, already in the scene, though, I am sick of that soggy cigar. Chomp, 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 chomp. Disgusting thing. Is it the That's same what I wrote on my notes. It says chomp, chomp, chomp. So sick. Oh, I've never so gotten what is it, a cigar know? versus smoke it or whatever. Uh, and it is disgusting. Uh, it's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, I, I used to smoke cigars from time to time. When I was in high school, yeah, I smoked, smoked them. You smoked them. You didn't chew them. Yeah. Them. Well, you'd give them a little. You might give them a little chew, you know. But that dude, Apon, when he wakes up from the cryopod and he has the cigar oh, ready. Oh, is he sitting there with him? Oh. He goes three inches it's deep his gum. on that It's thing. his gum. It's his gum. Yeah. If you can see the tip of it, it looks like it's been lit and then extinguished at some point. So it's got some. That makes it taste better. Do they go out? Do you have to relight? Or is that a pipe? Do you have to he relight? probably just lit it and then he's like, all right, I don't have time for this. I'm just going to keep chewing on it because it went out. Because those things don't stay lit if you don't keep working on them. No, you have to keep working on them. And you don't want you don't want a cigar to go unlit for too long without lighting it again either. It smells really bad. Yeah, it gets really fun. If I remember correctly, when you relight one. But... Um, yeah, the cigar, man. Ugh. I don't understand going like three inches deep on a cigar chewing it. It's crazy to me. And the thing is, how can he communicate? He is he is the sergeant. He is in charge. And he can hardly talk around this thing the most of the time. It's disgusting. Yeah. I think that should be a new like millennium affectation. Just, oh, new like, hipster thing. Cigar choppers. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you got some cigar chompers out there in Portland somewhere. I'm, I would, if I ever went out at night, I bet I would see some. They're vegan <laughs> cigars, though, so that's important. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> artisan, artisanal <laughs> vegan cigars. <laughs> yes, we're from Portland, Oregon. Strictly for chewing. <laughs> well, the only other note I have for this minute is we get Ripley start. She starts to, you know, well. You, you, Maybe you wanted to talk a little bit more about, like you talked about it last minute, about the interior of the bloater and the details. I don't know if you guys had any more about that well, as far as those, these, all these yeah. little close-ups, these insert shots of the loader. Yeah, I also wanted to talk about Ridley's tennis shoes or high-top boot oh, things. Oh, I didn't know her, her space um, shoes. Yeah. Re- nice product the placement. They're Reeboks. Oh, <laughs> and that they actually, they called them the Stomper design, I believe, oh. and they actually made them. I think it was wow. last yeah. year. And then they also released the Power Loader and the Xenomorph High Tops, which are both so ugly. And they sold them as a pair for $325. Oh. Were you supposed to wear one on each foot and then just keep kicking yourself to see which one won? (laughs) Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I think they came out with those in 2015, I think. For Alien Day. For Alien Day. And... They infamously released only men's sizes. Oh, did they? So I think what? we talked about this. 
Who's going to purchase <laughs> Well, this is my theory. My theory is that they're marketing geniuses. They understand the uh, the the now benefit of bad publicity, mm. and they release the they release the men's only, knowing full well they'd get huge backlash that would then bring all this attention. And then they'd come back and go, oh, okay, we listened. Mm, Here's yeah. the women's sizes. I, there's no way that they thought they were going to get away with that. No, I, that sounds I think good. I've talked about this already on the show at some point last season, I think. But it still irks me. There's no way they didn't know. <laughs> yeah, they that probably had good. already <laughs> produ- produced and ready. They're just like, oh, let's yeah. give it like, I don't know, seven days cool. to make it look like a rush. And then we'll just dump them on the stores. We rushed into production and we heard you out there. You know, we yeah, just worked yeah. overtime to get this done. It's such bullshit. To be totally off topic, that reminds me of uh, Dark Crystal is one of my favorite movies. Did you know they made a line of fashion clothes based on Dark Crystal back when the movie came out? Where was that? Skeksis or Gelflings? Yeah, Skeksis. And there's different looks. It was just the middle of the bad was rocking the Skeksis look for a while. Yeah, it was. I think she could. Back on my Stevie. She made it work. It's true. <laughs> like a like a one wing dove. <laughs> we were having debate about the lyrics to that song recently. I'm still not oh. sure what was right. Like a one wing dove. It's a white wing dove, isn't it? Sh- <laughs> this is what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> yes, it is white wing dove. I've always thought it was one wing dove. It sounds and like I one thought- wing dove. So is the dove just flying around in a well, tight That's the thing. It's like a one-winged dove is just waiting to be eaten by something. A white-winged dove has, like, purity, and it's all about... Well, apparently a white-winged dove sings a song like she's, that sounds like she's singing. Yeah. Ooh, the ooh, the, ooh, the ooh. one-winged dove is flapping around. Ooh, the yeah, <laughs> yeah, the thing is, you can't imagine a one-winged dove singing much of anything except, <laughs> well, I'm done, done for. <laughs> I'm fox meat as soon as that happens. Uh, is this one going to be called One Winged Dove? <laughs> it might be. We're going to find out. I'd vote for that one. All right. Well, I think I'm on finished. that note. Yeah, I'm finished. It's not going to get any better. sing our ways out of this one. <laughs> on that note, yeah, we should maybe move on to Minute 29. Um, all right. Well, you can find us on AlienMinute.com or on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast or on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. You can also come over to Facebook and... Tell us what you think Stevie Nicks' lyrics meant. Uh, <laughs> or where she gets her fashion. But anyway, that's... From. Or where she gets her fashion. Well, we all know. But. I was like, ooh, he looks like I wasn't going to All right. Well, that's going to do it for Minute 28. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute number 29.